with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 13. We will get there in, uh, in just a little bit. Romans chapter 13. We'll be focusing on the first seven verses there. When we look at the responsibilities uh, toward, toward governing powers or those in authority over us as we continue this series. The last couple of weeks we've looked at, at uh, God-ordained uh, institutions, God-ordained authority, those things that God has put in place. And so this morning we're going to kind of wrap up this mini-series within our series in 1 Corinthians on, uh, on Christian citizenship. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So as we, we're going to just launch right into this. There are 250 of what we call the founding fathers of our nation. 250 of those men. Now Benjamin Franklin was one uh, of those 250 men. And of those, he was one of the five least religious among the 250. Most of you probably know that. You know that Benjamin Franklin wasn't a very religious man. Uh, back in 1754, you go back from 17 1776, you go back to 1754, 22 years before the Declaration of Independence, Tom, uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin was the first man calling for a United States of America. He was calling for this unification of those 13 states. Instead of 13 states doing their own thing, he wanted to have one United States of America with 13 states within that. 22 years later, he's one of the 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence. And then we fast forward 11 years from that, and we find him at the Constitutional Convention. At this point, Thomas, uh, um, Thomas I'm going to say Thomas Jefferson Franklin, Benjamin Franklin at this point is 81 years old. Now, the average lifespan today for, for someone is, if, for men is right around 80 years old. So when you blow by that, you're just, man, you're blowing the statistics away, and that's awesome, okay? Um, but he was 81 years old at a time where about 32, I think, was the, was the average lifespan. So he had long exceeded that. A lot of wisdom there in that man. But we come now to this Constitutional Convention and on June 28, 1787, uh, they're here and the Constitutional Convention is falling apart. And, and, and without going deep into the history of what went on there, basically all these different states, they come and those that are representing there, they have their own idea. We have this plan, we have this plan, we have this plan. And there's a fighting and it's, 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 like, a, it's like in some churches, it's like a business meeting. I mean, they, they can't bring up what type of toilet paper to buy without a fight about it, okay? No, we got to have Charmin. No, 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 it's got to be, it's got to be uh, White Cloud, whatever it is. Um, so th it was fighting on every front, and the convention is falling apart. This thing is about to not happen. And so Benjamin Franklin steps up, and he gives a speech. And I want you to hear that speech. If you have the notes... Uh, it's printed on the back, and you can follow along this morning, read along. But I want you to, I want you to hear this speech, okay? Benjamin Franklin joining us this morning. The small progress we have made after four or five weeks, close attendance and continual reasonings with each other are different sentiments on almost every question. Several of the last producing as many no's and a's is methinks a melancholy proof of the imperfection of the human understanding. We indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom since we have been running about in search of it. We have gone back to ancient history for models of government and examined the different forms of those republics which have, which having been formed with the seeds of their own dissolution now no longer exist. And we have viewed modern states all around Europe, but find none of their constitutions suitable to our circumstances. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth, 
and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of lights to illuminate our understandings? In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, we were sensible of danger. We had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. To that kind of providence we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity. And have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we examine or imagine that we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it is probable that an empire can rise with his aid. We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build thy labor, in vain they build it. I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our little partial local interests, or our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future age. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate instance despair of establishing governments by human wisdom, and leave it to chance, war, and conquest. I therefore beg, leave to move, that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business, and that one or more of the clergy of this city be requested to officiate in that service. Amen. What a speech, huh? What a speech. And, and that, that, again, is from one of the five least religious men that were a part of that group of, of our founding fathers. Fourteen sentences. There are 14 sentences right there that, that he just read, that, that Benjamin Franklin back there just read. And uh, he's looking good for his age. Um, but 14 sentences. Any, anybody care to guess? Not those who know. I know a few of you in here know. But anyone care to guess how many scriptural references are in that 14th sentence passage? Seven. I got seven going once. Seven going twice. Do I hear, do I hear eight? Do I hear eight? Do I hear, do I get an eight? Do I get an eight? No. It's 14. There are 14 scriptural references in those 14 sentences. And I, 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 you know, go back and study through it and see if you can find those 14. And this is from one of the least religious founding fathers. He's referencing the scriptures 14 times and calling the others to solemn prayer. The least religious, one of the five least religious men in the room understood the value of the scriptures. He understood the, the wisdom within the scriptures. You know, we, we, last week we heard uh, from uh, David uh, Barton, he was cheering about Benjamin Rush. 
who was the founding, basically the father of our modern educational system. And he said three things in there. Now, this is the founding father of our educational system. He said we need to teach kids to love God. That was the first thing. Second thing was we need to teach kids to love country. Third thing was we need to teach kids to love family. And he understood. He put them in that order specifically. And he told us this, that, that Benjamin Rush said, well, and people would say, no, no, it should be you, you should teach you know, God family country. He said, no, no, no. Look, if you lose your country, you're going to lose your family. So you've got to love God, love your country, and love the family. And so we see that. And, and, and so we think today a call to prayer by our, our government seems a strange thing because there's now this, this lie that's been propagated about church and state, the separation of church and state, and state shouldn't have anything to do with that. But if you go back by 1815, you can look at the history on this, 1,400 government calls to prayer. The government was calling the nation to prayer. The government was calling the nation to prayer and fasting about different situations. 1850, 1400 calls to prayer. Does that sound like a godless nation to you? Does this sound like a country that was founded by, by people who, who were, were, were atheists and agnostics and didn't, didn't care about the Lord and didn't care about scripture? Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson, one of the least religious presidents that we ever had, he said this, and I think we have a slide for this. He said, the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. Andrew Jackson. Not a religious man. He understood that the Bible is the rock on which our republic rests. Now we could go through again and again and again. We could go through uh, men all through history, presidents, leaders, government things that would show us, folks, that, that the Bible and God has been involved in our nation from the very founding. To, to, so do not, I'm just telling you as the shepherd God has put in this place, do not buy the lie that, that God is not involved in the founding of our nation and that our nation was not founded upon biblical scriptures. If you're buying into that, you're listening to the wrong people and you, he can get you in touch with the right folks and the right sources so you can he, see true history instead of what has been doctored, you know, history that's been rewritten and things are writing, re, being written out of history. But go back and look at that. And that's from these men who were the least religious. Now, we've looked for the last few weeks about God-ordained institutions. We looked at marriage, family, church, commerce, and government. And no Christian, and I say no Christian, let me say no born-again, Bible-believing, uh, walking-with-God Christian would argue that a believer's faith should not be involved in his or her own marriage. Amen? We wouldn't argue against that. No Christian would argue that a Christian should not influence his or her family according to their faith. Amen. We wouldn't. No one would ever argue against that. No Christian would argue that a Christian should not be active in the ministry of the local church and evangelizing and discipling. We wouldn't argue against that. No Christian would argue that a Christian should not be uh, not have influence in the workplace. We wouldn't argue. We'd say, yeah, you should have influence in the workplace. You should be witnessing to people. You should be sharing your faith, living out your faith. We've got that freedom of religion in our country. We would say we should do that. And yet many professing Christians say that Christians should not, should, that, that they should be uninvolved in or disconnected from government. That, that we shouldn't be involved in that. They would say, you shouldn't speak up. You shouldn't talk politics. You shouldn't serve and you shouldn't vote. And that's, that's Christians that have bought that lie. And there are Christians that say, oh, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't talk politics. Uh, you know, what, what, do, what do we hear people say? If you don't want to have arguments, don't talk politics or religion. 
Folks, I'm going to talk religion because it's my, I'm going to talk my faith. And because I'm going to talk my faith, I'm going to talk politics because it, 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 everything in politics has to do with moral issues. You look at the stuff going on today. And it's not that the church is trying to get involved in the government in, in a wrong way. Look at where the government's going. Everything they're involved in right now. They're not worried about gas prices. They're worried about men wearing dresses. That's what's being pushed by our government. The moral issues, when it's a moral issue, we have to be involved. So many have bought into the lie, no doubt propagated by Satan himself, that Christians should not be involved with politics. They've swallowed the lie of separation of church and state. Far too many people today are absolutely ignorant of our true history. Amen? They are. And, you know, I wish I had the time to do it in this setting. I don't have the time to teach the history in this setting. Um, I don't have that time here today, but I'll tell you what, we're, we're, gonna, we're praying about some things, and we're going to do some things that are going to uh, help educate our church. If you want to learn more about the founding of our nation, the Christian heritage, we're going to present that opportunity to you very soon. We're going to have some different opportunities coming up. So um, a couple of interesting facts, though, about our nation, all right? Our free market system, our free market system came straight out of the Scriptures, Came straight out of the Bible. Five, five passage. I think this is in your note. But our free market system: First Timothy five eight, Second Thessalonians three ten, Matthew twenty five, Luke nineteen, and Matthew chapter twenty. You can go and read those, and you can see that the founding fathers used those scriptures. They referenced those scriptures from the Bible, the scriptures right there from the Holy Bible, to to fashion our free market system. The founding fathers they knew the Bible. They understood the powerful truths and wisdom found therein. Amen. Folks, the, the, those guys, Benjamin Franklin, the lead, one of the five least religious men there, quoting 14 Bible references in a 14-sentence speech. He understood the Bible. He knew the Bible. He understood its value. We as believers often don't embrace and understand the value of the Word of God, the wisdom that is in there, the truths that are there, just, just for, for wisdom and living a, a, a righteous life. Now, there are seven forms of human government. And our system of government, which was, again, fashioned by our founding fathers, you even hear Benjamin Franklin talking about that. We've looked at other constitutions in Europe. We've looked at other ways governments are fashioned. And we don't find there a constitution that would work here. That, that's what we're looking for. So they were looking for something different. And so our system of government that was fashioned by our founding fathers is straight out of the Bible. We have a Republican form of government. Okay, And that doesn't mean... That doesn't mean Republican-Democrat. That's not what it's talking about, though that there's wisdom in that. Uh, preacher. <laughs> we have a Republican form uh, 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 of government. Now, we're not a democracy. Y'all hear that lie? You know, that, that, and don't think that that's, that's accidental. Okay, that's an agenda. That's being pushed because that's not what we are. Okay, we were not founded as a pure democracy. Now, all this talk about democracy, democracy, there's, there's an agenda behind that. We are not a democracy. We are a republic. Okay? Uh, we're not a democracy. We do not operate under mob rule. That's what democracy is. 51 out of 100 says it's the way it ought to be, then that's the way it is. That's not how we function. Uh, we don't function under a king or dictator, nor do we operate as a theocracy. 
We're not a theocracy. Uh, you look in our Constitution, Article 4, Section 4 of our U.S. Constitution. The, US, uh, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or of the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. That is called, that right there, that provision, Article 4, Section 4, is known as the Guarantee Clause. And it ensures that each state be run as a representative democracy. That's what we are, folks. We're a representative democracy. We're a republic. We have those who represent us. And it's opposed, as opposed to a monarchy, which is run by a king or queen, or a dictator, uh, dictatorship where one individual or group of individuals controls the government. So, so where, does, where, did, where do you think this comes from? from where do you where do you um uh, where do you think the, the, these ideas that are being pushed on us today that we're a democracy where would you think that would come from it's a it's a satanic plant folks if you if you put on your worldview glasses we, we taught through worldview oh gosh was that earlier this year or was that last year we taught on worldview and, and, and went through worldview for most of the year. I guess that was Wednesday nights. But folks, if you put on your, your biblical glasses, if you look at things through a biblical worldview, as we look around today, it is easy to see the satanic influence in everything that's going on out there. You got to look at it in this, from this worldview context. So where, where, does, where does this Republican form of government that our founding fathers found, where, does that, where do you think that came from? I'll tell you where it came from. Exodus chapter 18, verse 21, right from scripture. It says, moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So the idea there, there's rulers of tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. There you have city, county, state, and federal elections. You have representation. You find these people, you find the good people. It says find such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Find good men, good women who will, will represent right and elect those to these positions. And they go and they represent the rest of us. Amen. That's where that came from. So now we're going to come to Romans 13 this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm not going to read that here because I'm going to read the verses as we go through these points. But, but Romans 13 is a great passage to help us understand our responsibility toward government. So it helps us to understand our role in, in, in this uh, Christian citizenship. So how do we, how are we to behave? What are, the, what are the responsibilities of us? What are the responsibilities of government? So we're going to look at this here in Romans 13. So what are our duties, responsibilities, and rights in America? And why do so many Christians, why have they dropped out of sight and stepped back from speaking out on major issues that Americans face today? Would you admit that, that Americans have pulled back? You, and, and so there, there's some reasons for that. There's four that I, I've tried to identify, four, four reasons. So a lot of it is this. A lot of Christians will say that they see involvement in government as a social gospel. We're trying to socially turn people. We're trying to, and that's not what we should do. They would say that we can't substitute culture for Calvary. Or they'll say we must reach a culture with the gospel, not with politics. Well, I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. But folks, isn't Calvary for the culture? Didn't Jesus die for all the culture? Didn't he die to win all of the lost? Do we believe that? 
then we need to, as believers, we need to have influence in our culture. And that means in every aspect of our culture, we should have, we should have part of that. If we, do not, uh, if we do not stay involved in politics, we may very well lose the opportunity to openly practice our, our faith and to share Calvary with this culture. Amen? Agree? Okay. Another reason is this. They've just, people have just given up hope. And I've shared, I was sharing with somebody the other night, but I've been saying this for years. The reason I think so many people are disengaged in the abortion issue is for the longest time, people, it, it's, it, it's a hot topic, right? It's a, if you believe, as I believe, that abortion is, it's, it's a life. You're killing a, a, a living being. You're killing a person. They're, the only difference is they're pre-born, but they're a person. I believe that. So if I believe that, then I'm impassioned that, that that's what we're doing, that we're taking a life. And so it's a very passionate issue. Well, what happened for a long time, I believe people were very passionate about it, but they felt like I can't make a difference. So if I can't make a difference, am I going to get all this passionate and worked up and hurt by this? Am I going to, I'm, and what people do is they disconnect. They disconnect. And I'm, I, I, that's my own Oh, we've got a, a doctor of psychology in here, and uh, he, he maybe can help me understand, and maybe that's a way that, that we would think, that individuals may think, and even groups of people. But I think you, you should be, we should be emboldened right now, you know, because we're seeing a turn with, with the, the Roe v. Wade decision. It didn't overturn abortion. That's the lie being pushed right now, that abortion's been overturned, and nobody's going to be able to get an abortion. That, that is not at all what happened. It just was sent back to the states. Now the states, your laws and your state have to decide, which is the way it should have happened back in the 70s. Each state should have de determined that and made the decision on that, and the people, the people should have made the decision on that, not a court. So they're mad because it was turned. But folks, that's what's happened. People think, I can't make a difference, so why even try? And they've disconnected in the political realm. They've disconnected from involvement at all. They won't even go vote. What did we hear last week? The, the man ran for school board. He got busy the day of the election. He didn't vote. Nobody voted. If he'd have simply went and voted for himself, he would have won and he would have been on the school board. One vote can make a difference. Don't think yours can't. The only election I've ever missed was back when uh, Clinton was running. And I think it was, uh, I think it was Bush Quayle. And, and I went and they had, moved my, they had moved my polling place, sent me a letter. I didn't get the letter. It got returned to them. They didn't find me, so I didn't get my registration moved. I go in to vote and they said, well, you're not registered here. And I didn't get to vote. I'm still mad about that. <laughs> I'm still mad about that. And it wouldn't have made a hill of beans difference but I wanted to vote because I'm an American and I'm a Christian and I, I understand that's a responsibility I have to represent. I wanted to do that. I was hurt. But a lot of people have given up. Another thing they do is that people see, well, politics is dirty and we as Christians shouldn't be involved with that. Our, our kingdom is not of this world. You know who else believes that way? The Jehovah's Witness. They think that way. Tennis, uh, some of you, probably all of you know Serena Williams. Well, years ago when Barack Obama was running for president, she was speaking at Wimbledon and she was telling him how excited she was about Barack Obama's presidential candidacy. But she said that she would not be voting in the election because she's Jehovah's Witness. And she said, we don't get involved in politics. Well, folks, if you want a good reason to be involved in politics, do it because the Jehovah's Witness aren't, okay? It's a good reason not to. Um, 
But why don't, why don't the Jehovah's Witness get involved in politics? And why don't they vote? Because they've misinterpreted John 17, 14. It says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Jesus wasn't of this world. This isn't his home, but he was engaged in our culture. He was involved in our culture. Folks, we, we live here. This is where we live today. We need to be involved in our culture today. We as believers need to be doing everything we can to influence this culture for righteousness. If we pull back, who is going to influence? Fourth thing is, is that people are intimidated, probably more now than ever. You know, the ACLU, they puff up and they blow us out of sight. And they've accomplished, you know, a major goal in that making Christians think that they have no rights. That's what the ACLU's done. They want you to believe you have no rights. They, you know, there's a separation of church and state and all the legal stuff. And you, you cannot do that. Legally, you cannot. They want you to believe that. And it's all lies. It's lies. And, uh, but there's, there, there's other things. There's the cancel culture today. So, you know, if you take a stand... Then, then the mob mentality jumps on you or social media jumps on you or they, they fire you from your job because of your freedom of speech, your freedom of religion, and you get fired from your job. There's the woke agendas today that if you don't embrace these things, then, then they turn on you. So there's these social tyrants and religious terrorists that want us to sit down and shut, shut down and shut up and hunker down in our, our stained glass churches. That's what they want us to do. You just go to church and you hunker down in there and you keep your mouth shut and you, you do your thing, but you stay out of our thing. That's what they want. Why would they want that? Because they don't want righteousness in there. They don't want truth in there. They don't want truth represented. So if we step back and aren't involved in this, then, then where do we get the answers for our problems? Is it the politicians? How about humanists? You want the humanists to, to make decisions for you? How about atheists? Do they represent you? They don't represent me. Uh, demonic philosophers? Muslims and terrorists? I don't want them representing me. God forbid that. We need to be engaged. We need to be involved. I said last week, there ought to be some of you in here that decide to run for public office. Some of you are very passionate and, and man, you could do it. Run for, I don't know, the garbage engineer. I don't know, find something public to run in. Get involved. Get out there and get involved. I don't want those folks representing me. Amen? Do you? But that's who will be running our country if you and I, as born-again believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, are not involved in the God-ordained institution of government and politics. Amen? All right, three points, uh, three points in your notes there you'll see. First is this. Uh, as we look here in Romans 13. So human government is God-ordained. We've established that. We've talked about that. Verse 1 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Daniel 2.21, He removes kings and, and raises up kings. That's God. He does that. Romans 9.17, For the scripture says to, Mo, to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. John 19, verse 10 and 11. Then Pilate said to him, speaking to Jesus, Are you not speaking to me? 
Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. God gives authority. The authority that government has comes from the Lord. Even under the wicked Roman government rule of the day, uh, of that day, Paul says this. He says, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. So human government is God-ordained. All right. Now they have responsibilities. Look at number two here, government's responsibilities. First part of this, and we've already talked about this, but we're going to review it a little bit. First part of this is to restrain evil, verse 3 and 4. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is, a, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Who is the government to execute wrath upon? Those who do evil. That's the purpose of government, is to restrain evil. It is to protect people so that those that are out doing evil, there's punishment brought against them. It is to restrain evil. So the role of government is not to make us good. Only God can do that. You know, you think about legislating morality and some of those things. We're not going to change hearts. Only God can change a heart. You know, government don't care about you smoking. They don't care about that. Why do they raise taxes? Well, they want more money. But it's always money. It's always power. So the whole thing with, with, with outlawing the cigarettes, why? Because, because the health industry sees the bad effect of it. It's costing somebody money and somebody's legislated. Somebody's, you see the track there? You see the trail? They're not, they're not making people go, you know, that smoking's a bad thing. You know, government, the government, boy, the great moral authority has told us that smoking's bad for us and we shouldn't do that. That ain't at all what it's about. It, it, they pass these laws and, and there's a purpose behind it. Only God can change a heart. Only God can make us do good. Government's role is to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, we understand that's turned upside down today. It really is flipped upside down. But you can think of it this way. There's not a law on the earth that, that can make you love me. But there, there are laws that keep you from killing me. Okay, that's the, that's the purpose of government. That's what the role is to be, is to restrain evil. You know, that jerk, you know, can't make you love me. But man, the laws are in place that would deter you from killing me. If I kill him, I, yeah. And if I kill him, I'm gonna, then I'm going to have to go to jail. I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to do that. Okay. So there, that's what, that's how the, the, the law works. And we've got to get back to legislating, um, against immorality. Okay. We're not, we're not doing that today. What do we hear? We've been hearing for a couple of years now is defund the police. The police are the bad guy. For, folks, police are not the bad guy. Are, are there, are there, are there, are there bad police officers? Absolutely. There, there might be somebody in this church that's really a bad person right now, this morning. You, you're, you're unsaved, you're a wicked-hearted person. I don't know. You may be the biggest liar in the community. I don't know, but God knows. And, there, and because, of, because humans, police officers are human, there are humans that are bad people, there are bad police officers. But the, but the police are not bad. Now, when I get pulled over, I said that like it's a regular happening thing. It's... <laughs> It's not. It's not. 
It's not really. But if I get, if I get pulled over here, I mean, here's what I do. I get my license. I get my registration. I got it in my hand and my hands are on the steering wheel. I, I understand what they face all the time. I'm not going to do anything stupid that puts a police officer in a bad situation. You want to be dumb, right? You play dumb games, you win dumb prizes. That's the truth. And so don't put these guys in those situations. Um, but why do you think they want, to, they want to defund the police? Who do you think wants to defund the police? It, it's, it's, well, the criminals definitely, but the leftists, leftists, people who want anarchy in our nation, who it, it, it's, it's, it's working against what God designed. When we look at the design for government, it, we see these things that are against God's design. So if the rule of government, the role of government is to, is to execute wrath on those who do evil, what does Satan want to do? He wants to flip that upside down. He wants to execute wrath on those who do right and praise those who do evil. You know, the, I, I, was, I think I was telling them Wednesday night, Fetterman, Fetterman up there in Pennsylvania, he, he, he said, they, they asked him, said, if you could do one thing, if you had a magic wand, you could wave it and do one thing, what would you do? What would you change? He said, I would have all murderers released from prison. Now, why, why would three people in that state vote for him? Why would even three people vote for him? Because he's not looking out for the good of anybody. That's, that's foolishness, folks. It's the leftists that won't, it's leftists. When I say leftists, I'm not talking about liberals. I'm talking about leftists. I'm talking about radicals. I'm talking about anti-God, anti-Bible folks who want to work and they're being led by Satan himself. It is. This will get out on the internet. They'll go, man, this guy's crazy. But it's the, it's the absolute truth. This world system is run by Satan himself. And so they want to they let murderers go free. They don't want bail. They waste time. Why would we waste time arresting them? We're not even going to be bailed to let them out. They're not going to prosecute violent crime but heaven forbid you stand up at the, uh, the school board meeting and, and state your, your case on why you shouldn't have this or that. Okay? Folks, sometimes government has to take life in order to protect life. Amen? So verse 4 says, For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. That's the way it should be. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Now, Exodus 20, 13, we know this in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill. We're not to kill. Well, the kill, the word kill there means to murder. It's personal vengeance. It's premeditated taking of life. Exodus 21, 12 says, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. So there is that, that is the exit, that is the, then the, excuse me, the execution of God-ordained authority. That, that the, the, those who do evil, then the wrath comes upon them and the judgment comes upon them and it is, it is for the good of the culture. So you keep in mind that, that if we coddle murderers, it's, it's cruelty to society. You think of these people who are, you know, a, 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 single, a mother and her children that are brutally murdered in their home. Someone breaks in and brutally murders them and then they, they fight and, they, and, they, and, they, and they, just, they don't even want to prosecute them. They want to turn them back loose. What does that say to the rest of society? It, it says anarchy. It says, people, it says, if I want to do bad, I can do bad. There's no consequences. It says to those who are doing trying to do right, well, they're not going to do anything about it. So 
it's this whole system. So the satanic world wants to do away with everything that God has created and everything that God has ordained. Amen? That's what Satan wants to do. So the role of government has been flipped on its head. And so now we see the execution. They, they execute wrath on those who practice righteousness. And there's praise and promotion of evil. Now you're going to tell me that we as believers should be uninvolved in government. When the evil that is being propagated is because we've been uninvolved. Second thing here in the role of uh, government responsibilities, B, point B is to reward good. Verse 3, for rulers are not a, a, a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king as supreme or to the governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. There should, be, there should be praise from the government of those who do the right things and those who do good. Um, you know, in another way, so, so here's the way that ought to, ought to work out. Now, some ain't going to agree with this. Some ain't going to like this. I don't know if anybody here would, but somebody out there is not going to like this. Not, not too long ago, there was a man walked into, a young guy walked into a, uh, walked into a mall with, with a, a, a semi-automatic rifle with the intention of killing a lot of... You don't go into a mall with a semi-automatic rifle with, with multiple guns and multiple clips and all these things and go into a mall without the intention of... And so he pulls it out and he begins to shoot. His intention is to kill a lot of people. And uh, there was a young man in there who had a concealed carry license, I think. Either that or it was an open carry state. But anyway, the young man killed... The guy. So you had a good guy with a lawfully carrying uh, gun, good guy who stopped a bad guy with a gun. Did y'all hear what the media did? The media is trying to vilify the young man that, that stopped the bad guy. Instead of the fact that there are a lot of people that are alive today because he did that, that that's where, our, our, again, the, this whole thing and the government speaks out against doing, doing the right thing. It's, it, we're upside down. It's to reward good. Third thing here, C, is to promote religious freedom. Now, this is geared toward specifically when we think about our government because the First Amendment to the Constitution said, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We have freedom of religion in this country. What the leftists want you to believe is there's freedom from religion. Let's see, they have the right for you not to have your right to religion. If they don't want to hear about your faith, they have the right to just shut you down. Well, we have freedom of speech and we have freedom of religion, constitutionally given to us in this country. Um, now, I'll give anyone here an all-expense-paid trip to Hawaii if you can find in the Constitution the phrase separation of church and state. If you can find it and show it to me, somebody will pay for you to go to Hawaii. Somebody... <laughs> Somebody will pay for you to go to Hawaii. All expenses paid. I will do that because I, I have, I, there, it's not there, so I don't have to worry about that, okay? We don't have a national uh, denomination to rule the religious thought in America. We don't have that. We have freedom of religion in America. Uh, I don't want a Baptist pope any more than I want a Catholic pope. Amen? 
I don't, I don't want one person up there telling us how to, how to think. We need to, we need to think. We need to think. Amen. You need to read your Bibles and get in there and study out Scripture and know what the Word of God says for you. Not, and, and I was talking with some Friday night. When you hear, when I, when I preach, you go back and study it out. Some of you called me on some things. You go, I don't know about that. Help me here. I don't mind that. I don't mind that. Do it in the right way. Don't jump me as soon as the service is over. I had a guy one time, I gave him an illustration. And it, and it had to do with the, the corn uh, in, in Joseph's dream. And it was talking about seven ears on there. And I got to come up after this, after this lesson, comes up and chews me out about, there ain't no corn that produces seven ears. You know corn, what kind of corn was that? That was God corn, man. Get out, get out, get out. Come on, what are you doing? All right, so the church, here's the thing. The church is to preach the gospel and the government is to protect us from evil and tyranny. It's that simple. It's that simple. Number three. Number three, we're going to look at five duties for every Christian citizen. The first one is to pay for our government. To pay for our government, verse six and seven. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. What is this very thing? The punishment of evil. The security, keeping, keeping evil down, suppressing that, restraining evil. That's the purpose of government. What I'd say right now, we're paying taxes and we ain't getting proper representation. We're not getting from our government what we're supposed to be doing. And the scripture said here, because of this, you also pay taxes. For, this, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing, protecting those, those citizens. Render, verse 7, render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now customs and taxes, customs and taxes are here to stay because of the best way to pay the bills of the government. It ain't going anywhere. Y'all know that. It ain't going to go anywhere. And they're going to continue to ask for more and more and more. Maybe, again, we need to get the right people in place who understand wisdom and understand a lot, understand a lot of things. Just even a few things would be nice right now. Um, but the taxes aren't going away. And, and uh, here's the problem, though. A nation's in trouble, and it's truly on its last leg when half of the nation thinks the other half should support them. You know, that's, that's kind of where we're getting to. And it's the agenda of certain politicians in our country who want people dependent on the government. Why? Because the government supports me, then I'm going to vote a certain way, and it's a, it's a way of retaining power, okay? That's, that's what's going on. Uh, but we're in trouble when half, the, half, of, you know, you know, half of, this is America, and this half here, they believe, half of them believe that you should pay everything for them. They shouldn't have to do anything. You should, you should give them everything. We're in trouble at that point, folks, because then when you've got more than half of the country who believe that way, the voting's going to go that way. When you start, it's the whole thing, if you can vote yourself a raise, um, representatives and Senate and all that stuff. Wow, interesting how that all works, isn't it? Boy, preacher, you are political today. You know, when we get the idea that the government is a cow to be milked rather than a, a watchdog to be fed. You get that? See, the government, the government has specific, it's a God-ordained institution, right? And as a God-ordained institution, it has very specific roles it is to serve. It's gone way beyond that. 
gone way beyond that and has flipped those things up. And, and I'll say this, paying it for our government, I don't mind paying taxes. I don't want to be robbed, but I don't mind paying taxes. I like riding on good roads. I like that we have a strong defense, you know, that we're, we're defending. I don't have a problem with paying my fair share. I'm gonna, I want to pay my fair share, though. I want to, I don't, I don't. And I think the founding fathers had no problem with taxes. What was the problem with taxes? Taxation without representation, right? So it, that goes into that. So our, we have a role as citizens to pay, to pay our taxes, to pay our part. Second thing is uh, we're to pray for our government. 1 Timothy 2.1, therefore I exert, exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayer, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority. We're to pray for our government, all right? That, that should be, and we've, we've talked about that a lot. I love the, what the Freedom Ministry talked about in the past. They've talked a lot about that, and we, we, we've discussed that here. And I think we have a very patriotic group. You understand, we need to be praying for those that are in authority. I, mean, I, I pray all the time. I, I don't care if they are godless. God can turn their heart. I'm going to pray for them. So we need to pray for our government. The third thing, C, is pray, we need to praise our government. Now, you, you go, praise our government? Are you crazy? Well, 1 Peter 2.17 says, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. So we should praise our government when it does what it is ordained to do. Amen? If they do what they're supposed to do, we should praise them for doing what they're supposed to do. I'm thankful for our government keeping us free from terrorist attacks since 9-11. Amen? We haven't had another attack like that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for, for, for a nation that for 246 years has remained a free nation. I'm thankful for that. I want to praise them for that. And they stand up against dictators around the world and different things like that. I'm, I'm thankful for that. We need to praise our government when it does right. D, we need to preach to our government. We need to preach to our government. Folks, we need to be civil, but certainly not silent. Amen? We need to do it the right way. We need to speak the right things. We, don't, we, don't, we need to say these things. We need to do it in the right way, but we need to not be silent. And the Bible is filled with examples when leaders and governments needed, uh, they were needing to be preached at, and they were preached at. We saw Elijah preach to King Ahab. Eleazar preached to King Jehoshaphat. Daniel preached to Nebuchadnezzar. Moses preached to Pharaoh. John the Baptist preached to Herod. We see Jesus preached to Pontius Pilate. We saw Paul preach to King Agrippa. There's a lot of examples where they spoke truth to power. Those in authority, they spoke truth to them. So let me remind you, as long as leaders are aborting the preborn, we should preach to them. As long as leaders try to normalize every form of sexual perversion, we should preach to them. As long as we have Americans who cannot pray wherever they want, we need to preach to them. Amen? We must continue to preach from the highest hilltops because whatever is morally wrong is not politically right. You agree with that? E, we need to participate in our government. Verse 7, render therefore to all their due. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We have a government that our founding fathers envisioned where, where they envisioned all people participating. That's why the Constitution says of the people, by the people, for the people. That's our Constitution. That's the way it was set up. That's the way our founding fathers envisioned this, that all would participate. And if we don't vote, we're not participating. 
It is inconceivable that God would have ordained government and then have his people stay out of it. Right? We talked at the start. We should be involved in our marriages. We should be involved in family. We should be involved in, in our, in our commerce of our community. We should be involved in, in uh, uh, what's the other one? Church. We should be involved in church. Ugh. <laughs> should be involved in church. We, you know, as believers, you should be involved in your local church. And uh, why in the world, if God ordained those and expects us to be involved, why would we think for a second that, that government, God ordained authority, that he would then want us to not be involved in that? It's his ordained authority that he gave to them. He wants his people involved. And if Christians stay out of it, then I ask, who, who does that leave running this country? And we see where that, that is. So just use your head. Let's, listen to some of the folks from the past. Matthias Burnett pastor of First Baptist Church of Norwalk, preached on May the 12th, 1803. He said, consider well the important trust which God has put into your hands. To God you are accountable for your rights and your rulers. Let not your children have reason to curse you for giving up those rights and institutions which your fathers delivered to you. Boy, that's a convicting statement. Samuel Adams, April 16th, 1781, declared, let every citizen remember that he is executing one of the most solemn trusts in human society for which he is accountable, accountable to God and his country should vote. John Jay, founding father and appointed to the very first Supreme Court by President Washington said, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. You hear that? This is their mentality. These are the leaders, the founding fathers. Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Remember, as Christians, we participate not according to visionless policies or useless parties, godless people, or purposeless politics, but by participating according to God's principles. That's how we should participate. And I'd say this, you know, in, in wrapping up right here, and Pastor Aaron, you and the, your team can come forward. Folks, we, we complain. I hear people complain. I hear Christians complain. And I'd say this, please hear me when I say this and, and don't be offended, but if you don't vote, shut up. Amen? All right, good. I couldn't say that. I could say that in some places and I'd be getting chewed out as soon as it was over. But I, I believe that. If you're not going to vote, don't complain about what we have in our country. Don't complain about who's leading and how they're leading and the problems we have. I have a problem with Christians who wouldn't vote a certain way because of comments one guy made, but they would vote another way with a guy who openly was pro-abortion, pro-LGBTQXYZ, all that. But, open, but vote for that, but not because this guy made one comment that they didn't like or he tweeted mean things. I'm not telling you how to vote, but I'll say this. If the, the more than 180 million Christians in America took voting seriously again, I believe we could turn this nation around 10 years. Well, you couldn't do it in two because you don't vote for everybody in two years. So you give it two cycles. 
You give it two cycles. You get through the midterms, you get through the presidential, you get through another set of midterms and another presidential election. We could turn this country around. But we don't want that, do we? I do. I do. Joshua 24, 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. Verse 15, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Ammonites, I'm I'm sorry, the Amorites in which land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We have the opportunity in this country to choose who leads us. Why would we give that away? Folks, we need to be involved. I read this verse last week and I'll close with this. Proverbs 29, 2 says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice doesn't say the righteous people rejoice. It says the people rejoice. It is good for a nation when righteous people are in authority. I I don't hear the leftist, I hear the far crazy leftist complaining about DeSantis. But most people like the way he's governed because he's kept us free. He's kept us open. He's standing for righteousness. And you know what? The people rejoice. People rejoice when the righteous are in authority. Folks, you've got to select godly, righteous people. But we've got to be involved in this realm. We can't take our hands off and let it go. Amen? Amen. All right. And that's all i got to say about that. <laughs> that's all i got to say. Father, thank you for your scriptures, Lord Sometimes we we wonder, uh, is this right? Is it wrong? What should we do? Lord, we've got to be diligent to get in your word. Your word gives us every answer for life. It's there. Lord, as we've studied the last few weeks, and Lord, as we'll continue to study, we see see your hand in in this nation. And we see the, the, the command that you've given us not to sit back passively, but to be involved. You blessed us with this government. This government was established so that everyone would be involved and we get to choose our own leaders. Uh, Father, may we not be negligent. And Lord, I feel sometimes like I'm preaching to the choir on this subject here in our church. But maybe we'll take what we're hearing and, and the things we're learning and take it out to our families and our coworkers and our friends and We'll share these truths and, and Lord, we can maybe motivate others to, to vote, to get out and be involved in, in this, this great opportunity that we have uh, and to exercise our Christian citizenship in this nation. Father, this morning, it's, it's been a, a topic very, very much geared to uh, where we're at today. But Lord, I can't help but think of, of the most important reason we're here and that's to, to worship our risen Savior. The Lord, that we're so grateful and thankful this morning as we've worshiped and praised you for the fact that, Lord, you came to this earth because we were hopelessly lost in our sin and could not save ourselves. 
So God the Father, you sent the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this earth, born of a virgin. And Jesus, you lived a sinless life for us. And you went to the cross of Calvary and you died in our place for us. And you bore our sin for us. You did these things for us. You did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so, Lord, when you rose again from the dead on the third day, you won victory over death, hell, and sin, and the grave. And there is a way for us to be reconciled to the Father. And it is through repentance of our sin, confessing our sin, and turning to you by faith. Dear God, I pray this morning, if there's anyone in our midst that has never truly been born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Marvel not at that saying, you must be born again. Lord, I pray that if there's even one in here this morning that's never been born again, that, Father, you'd convict their heart, and today would be the day of salvation. May they, Lord, in this time of invitation, in just a moment, may they step out and, uh, and come down. Let me, let me or someone else take the word and just uh, show them, share the gospel, and introduce them to Christ this morning. God, I pray you'll convict their heart. Not let them leave here today without getting that right. There may be other things on your hearts this morning, Lord. I pray that it, as, as, uh, as, as we go into this time of invitation, Lord, you'll speak to our hearts. And Lord, if there's something we need to come and confess, if there's something we need to come and just ask wisdom for, if there's something we should come to this altar and, uh, and give back to you, whatever it is you're doing in our hearts this morning, Lord, I pray that, that we would not be concerned with who's around us, but Lord, simply we would be concerned with what you're doing in our lives and responding to that. So as we have this time of invitation, this altar is open. And I pray, God, you'll move in our midst now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.